I love the words of that song, I am redeemed. There's a, a line in that song which says, um, you look at this prisoner and say, stop fighting the fight that's already been won. And it's just such a great reminder. Elliot, you could turn me down just a little bit there if you would. It's just such a great reminder of what God does in our hearts and our lives that he forgives us. Um, the battle's already been won. And so really the issue for us is not the forgiveness of Jesus. Okay, That's been taken care of. It. The issue for us is really more about what we believe about ourselves. Um, Really, the issue is the weight that we all carry around because of the burdens of our past sin. That's, that's what we all wrestle with. And so what do we sometimes do when we have this burden in our life? Well, it's, it's the easiest thing to start blaming other people or other things. I blame God for my choices, or I blame COVID, right? That's a very easy thing to blame right now. Or it's easy for me to blame other people and fool myself into thinking I'm not really the problem. Because if I spend too much time thinking I'm the problem, that's too difficult or that's too painful. So do you ever struggle with being honest with yourself? Do you ever struggle with saying, okay, maybe I could possibly, perhaps, you know, maybe periodically, maybe I could be the problem? you ever struggle with being honest with yourself? You know, when the other guy takes a long time, they're slow, but when I take a long time, I'm thorough. Or when the other person... Um, doesn't do it, he's lazy, but when I don't do it, it's because I'm busy or I got my priorities straight. Or when the other fellow um, does something without being told, he's overstepping his bounds, but when I do something without being told, it's because I'm taking initiative. Or when the other person overlooks a rule of etiquette, they're rude, but when I, you know, skip a few rules, I'm just original. Or when the other person gets ahead, it's because they're getting all the breaks. But when I get ahead, it's just because I'm a person who works hard. And it's so easy for at least me to think I'm not really the problem. The other person is the problem. And so thankfully for us, Jesus knows how crucial honesty with ourselves particularly how crucial that kind of honesty is when it comes to really letting him work in our hearts, in our lives. And so today, he tells us a parable which really almost forces us to be honest with ourselves. At least it forced the people that were listening to Jesus in that particular day. Now, whether they would choose to be honest with themselves or whether we choose to be honest with ourselves, really, that's, that's up to us. So we're in this series that Elliot started for us last week called A Cool Story Bro. It's a series about some parables. So a parable was a story Jesus told, and it was a story. It was not true to life, but it felt like it was true to life. But the purpose of a parable was to force those of us who are listening um, to see it from a different perspective, and it almost makes us have to listen. You know, we may be, you know, hold it off from this perspective, but because of the story, Jesus kind of takes us from a different angle. And sometimes a parable, maybe oftentimes a parable, was told to force people to be honest with themselves, at least the story or the parable that we're looking at today. So it's a parable of two sons. Now, I have one son. It's the only son that I happen to have that I love dearly. There's Kevin on my right. And I am the son, the only son of my dad, and he's the guy sitting on the left there. So I don't have two sons, neither do I have any kind of brothers. 
But this isn't a story about two sons or two daughters or children because it's a parable. This is a story about deceiving ourselves. This is a parable about us not willing to be honest with ourselves. It's a story about me. I know that for sure. I have a feeling it's a story about you. And the place that God goes with this story is this, that actions trump words. It's not what we say, but what we actually do that matters. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew 21. Those of you who are online, turn on your Bibles, your phone, or you the app, use the app. There's even a tab that you're watching there that you can bring up the Scripture. But we're going to read together Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to start in verse 28, and we're going to talk about this parable of two sons. So Matthew 21, beginning in verse 28. What do you think, Jesus asks? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Well, the first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now, you can't tell from the immediate verses we just read who this parable is to. So you have to read a little bit of the context, and it's important to understand who the parable is to so that we can interpret it or understand it and then apply it the best. And so I need you to go up to verse 23 there of chapter 21. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, here you go, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. So those are the people that he's talking to. By what authority are you doing these things, they ask, and who gave you this authority? And so he's asking them this particular question, but he's talking to the chief priests and the elders of the people. So who are the chief priests and the elders of the people? So those were the bigwigs or the rulers over the nation of Israel. Now, they were not elected, like we're going to elect who knows who on Tuesday, right? Um, they were chosen because of the family that they were a part of. It was a part of God's way. Now, just because you're in the right family doesn't necessarily mean you view life in the correct way. But the most important thing is these were the men who should have known that Jesus was the one who came as the Messiah. These were the guys who should have understand that, but they were more concerned about what they were holding on to than what Jesus wanted them to let go of. See, they were holding on to their power and their influence and their position rather than letting go of their pride and shepherding the people that God had called them to shepherd. See, that's why Jesus was so often in conflict with this group of leaders is because they weren't doing what God had called them to do, shepherd the people of Israel. They were more concerned with holding on to their influence and their power and their position. And so Jesus challenges them. They ask them this question, by what authority? So he turns it back on them. So look at verse 24. Jesus replied to them, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, Jesus says, where did it come from? Was it from heaven 
or was it of human origin? So they discussed it among themselves and said, well, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So why does Jesus bring up John the Baptist here? Why does he do You know, John the Baptist was the guy who uh, ate bugs and wore the camel skin and lived out in the desert, right? Why does Jesus bring up John the Baptist here? Well, the reason is because of John's message. And what was John's message? That Jesus is the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The problem was they didn't believe John's message. This group, these leaders, they should have believed it, but they didn't believe that message. But they're kind of in a little bit of a quandary here because, you know, if they say, well, John's message is from God, then they got to let go of all of the things they're holding on to. But on the other side of the equation, if they say, well, you know, it's really, John's message was of human origin, um, that wouldn't have made the people happy. I mean, they were true politicians, right? They went to the side, they discussed it, they didn't say what's the truth, they said what do we need to say so that we look good in this particular story. So they refused to answer Jesus' question. And their refusal shows their own dishonesty. Their refusal shows the hardness of their hearts towards the very things that they should have best understood. And so Jesus knows their hearts. And he wants to try to wake them up, right? So he tells the parable that we read a moment ago. He tells this parable to take it from a different angle to try to help them to see their own dishonesty. So again, our parable, beginning in verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. So God, uh, dad gives his two sons instructions. Go work in the vineyard. This is not like going out and mowing the yard, right, or taking out the trash. This was their livelihood, and so what's going on here is that this, the dad is saying, you need to be a part of what it takes for us as a family to be able to make a living here. And so he gives that instructions to two different sons. He gets two different answers and two opposing responses here. So son number one tells dad what? What does son number one say? No, okay, you can do better than that. Everybody online, join us because everybody here is still asleep. So son number one says what? No, no. he says no. He says no, I'm not going to do it. Now, we don't know why he says no. It doesn't indicate that in this particular story. But this group of leaders would have been appalled by that because there was a zero-tolerance policy when it came to the rebellious nature of children in the Jewish nation, all right? In fact, let me share this verse with you. This is Deuteronomy chapter 21. So this is from the Old Testament law. Beginning of verse 18 says, If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of the town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Now, here's the key of the story. Then all the men of the town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. Isn't that a wonderful verse right there? 
So here's, here's a parenting tip. If, uh, you know, those of you online or anybody here, if you have a 13, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old child that's just being really rebellious and obnoxious, you should take that verse and put it on a big plaque, and you can put it in their bedroom, right, so that they could read it. I mean, the, 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 these guys would have been horrified at the son saying no. That just wasn't heard of. He says no, but what does he do? Look at verse 29. He says, I will not, but later he changed his mind and went. He changed his mind. Now, we're, we're going to come back to that in a minute. But what would have caused him to change his mind? Again, we don't know it from the story. Maybe his good Jewish mother grabbed him by the back of the neck and said, you're going to go out and do what Dad says because I don't want to have to stone you to death. Or maybe he felt guilty. I, we don't know what caused him to change his mind, but so the, again, the group listening to the story, these religious leaders, they would have probably breathed a big sigh of relief to have seen in the story, okay, he's really doing what he's supposed to do. That was son number one. Son number two, verse 30, says, Then the father went to the other son, and he said the same thing. And his son answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. <clears throat> so these guys begin to get a little bit more uncomfortable because they're starting to realize Jesus is not here just telling us a nice, nice story to make us feel good. Jesus has a very obvious point and it has to do with them. He's forcing this group of leaders to pay attention, to look at themselves, ultimately what to respond here. So look at verse 31. Which of the two, Jesus asked, did what his father wanted? The first they answered. It isn't what I say with my mouth, but what I do with my actions that reveal obedience. Actions trump words. <clears throat> so then what Jesus does is he applies this story to them. So he goes on, verse 31. Jesus um, says, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So in applying the story, what Jesus does is he links the religious leaders who saw themselves as pious and godly, who saw themselves as the one who did what it was that God had told them to do. Jesus links them to the son in the story who says all the right words. Yeah, Dad, I'll do it. Yes, sir. But chooses to disobey right off the bat. On the other hand, the, the sinful outcasts of society. So here Matthew labels them, you know, the tax collectors and the sinners. In other words, it was in the mind of the religious leaders, these were the people who didn't deserve to have anything to do with God at all. Jesus, in the story, links them with the son who begins by saying, no, I'm not going to do that. But eventually, they change their mind and they obey. And Jesus was declaring that it was the sinners who were entering into the kingdom of God, not these religious leaders. And the contrast is so very stark here. 
it isn't our pious words. It isn't about looking good that matters. It's about our actions. Now, there's one other thing in what Jesus refers to John about. He talks about this thing called the way of righteousness. It's in verse 32 there. You notice that? For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness. What is the way of righteous, righteousness? It really was kind of a code word for the Jews in which they understood this was God's plan since the beginning of time to bring the Messiah. So this, this is the key reason why Israel was a nation was so that there would be a group of people through whom the Messiah would come. But the way of righteousness would refer to God's specific pieces of the plan to ultimately show the coming of the Messiah, of which John the Baptist was one of those pieces. So by saying the way of righteousness and tying it to John, what Jesus is saying here is, this is the one, and you should have known it, but they rejected the message of John. Ultimately, they rejected the Messiah. And so the parable that Jesus tells here to us is a stark warning to these religious leaders in their obstinance and their hard-heartedness, in their hypocrisy. And it's a very stark warning to you and I. Am I obeying God or am I trying to hold on to something that I don't want to let go of? Am I willing to change my mind or am I going to let my pride win out? So the first principle from this parable I want you to get is this. Don't be so set on your own agenda that you harden your hearts against what Jesus wants to accomplish through you. Don't be so set on our own agenda that we miss out on what Jesus wants to do through you and I. These were the, the guys who should have known better. They really should have. The religious leaders, they knew the Old Testament they had it memorized. They could quote any part of it. They understood exactly what God wanted them to do, and yet they refused to believe the very one that God sent. And their refusal was a direct result of their own agenda, their own plan, what they wanted to accomplish, what they wanted to do. And as a result, Jesus chose other people to be blessed through obedience to him. Jesus chose other people to lead the church. See, God wants to accomplish so much in and through every single one of us. God has things in mind for your life to do and to accomplish. I mean, imagine a heart that is so fully given to God that whatever God wants them to do, that's exactly what they're willing to do. And some of you can imagine that because that's exactly what some of you have done. You've made choices in your life. Maybe you've given up things or you've diverted your plan, but you've chosen to listen to God. You've revealed a heart that is open to what God wants, and you have seen the blessing of God being able to work in and through you in big ways and small ways. I mean, God wants to work through us. Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The context of this verse there in Jeremiah 29 was words written to God's people, the Israelites, while they were in the midst of their rebellion. And God's saying, look, all you have to do is let go of your agenda. Turn and seek me. And he says, my plans for you, 
they're so astonishing, you can't even imagine what God wants to do through every one of us. So what's, what's your agenda? What's my agenda that we just can't seem to let go of? Are we so set on it that it keeps us from allowing God to work through us? What are you holding on to that's getting in the way? Maybe it's the bitterness of your past and what others have done. Maybe it's your agenda for revenge because of what somebody else has done to you. Maybe it's the perks and influences of your job. You don't want to let go of that for God's agenda. Maybe it's your agenda that what people think of you is more important than maybe being honest and revealing a secret to somebody that, man, you're so fearful that if they knew about that, they wouldn't want to have anything more to do with you. Maybe you don't want to be viewed as one of those religious nuts and so you go on with your own agenda rather than with what god wants to do through you what are you holding on to that's hardening your heart to what jesus wants to do through you the sacrifice of letting it go is well worth the risk so don't be so set on your own agenda that you harden your hearts against what jesus wants to accomplish through you and principle number two is this it's never too late to repent Never too late. It says that the first son changed his mind. And it's very interesting. It, it, it's this word that really means, um, kind of has as a heart the idea of regret or sorrow. Um, I mean, to, to change your mind literally means to change your decision. I've decided this. That's what the son did, right? And then he changed his mind and he decided the other. But it's not the typical word that you find in the New Testament for repent. So if you see that word several other places, this is not that typical word. This is the word for regret or the word for remorse because regret doesn't necessarily lead to repentance. Repentance is a change of mind or a decision, change of decision. We can regret things without choosing to repent of things. Judas is a great example of that, right? Judas recognized that Jesus had been wrongly condemned. He regretted his betrayal, but he couldn't find his way to genuine repentance. So it leaves us with the question, well, I allow my regret, my sadness of the past, well, I allow the sorrow of what I've done to turn to repentance, Or will I just remain in distress and despair? And this idea of biblical repentance is is such a beautiful thing. It's, It's understanding at its heart that God's love and plan for every single one of us is so far beyond what we could ever imagine. It's that beautiful and amazing. Jay Stringer in the book Unwanted said this, The joy of repentance is found in turning from entitlement to the pursuit of what we truly deserve. Entitlement is an attitude that we have an an inherent right to get what we were deprived of. Repentance refocuses us not on what we demand, but on what we deserve. Repentance is faith that God truly desires to give us what is best for us. Repentance is faith that God truly desires to give us what is best for us. I can repent when I fully believe that this Father who loves me has the 
absolute very best in mind for me. That makes the idea of repentance almost the easiest thing to do. Now, we don't know how long it took, you know, son number one to change his mind, right? Could have taken a few moments, a few hours, a few days, a few weeks. We have no idea. The length of time is not what's important. His choice to repent is what's most important. And what do some of us really struggle with? We look at our lives and we say, man, I wish, you know, back then I would have changed, or I wish at that point I would have done things different. I wish there I would have talked to someone. It's so easy to look back and say, I wish, I wish, I wish. But the past is the past, and God can change everything with the heart that repents to him if they choose to do that today. Now is the day of salvation, Scripture teaches us. And it's so critical for us to realize that in Jesus, I am not defined by my past. I'm not defined by my behavior and the choices that I make because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so for some in this room, it's time to let go of our agenda. For some listening online, it's time to let go of the pride that we have in our lives and let the beautiful work of God make a difference in our life. For 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So where are you being dishonest in your relationship with Jesus Christ? I mean, I'd encourage you to have that kind of a conversation with God. Have that conversation with somebody that you trust very much. Son number one was willing to change and repent. Son number two was not, which son am I? Which son are you? It's never too late to repent. And God has the power to transform any messed up life if we're willing to recognize and see that his way is best and we turn back to him. Because Jesus knows what's on the other side of total honesty. He knows the beauty of what can happen. He knows if we're willing to do the hard work and go through the struggle sometimes of moving to that point, he knows what's on the other side of total honesty. That's why John wrote this in 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We're dishonest. If we say, I'm not the problem, it's not me, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, if we're honest with ourselves and with God and with other people, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Where where do I need to turn back to God in? Bono, who's the lead singer of U2, said this on spiritual formation. He says, our nature is a hard thing to change. It takes time. I have heard of people who have life-changing, miraculous turnarounds, people set free from addiction after a single prayer, relationships saved, where both parties let go and let God. But it was not like that for me. For all that, I was lost, I am found. It's probably more accurate to say, I was really lost, and I'm a little less so at the moment. And then a little less, and a little less again. That, to me, is the spiritual life, the slow reworking at regular intervals. It slowly rebuilt me into a better image. It's taken years, though, and it's not over yet. I mean, to me, that's, that's the picture of God's work in my life through the years. 
And it just takes a daily decision to say, today, God, I'm going to recognize how much you love me, and I'm going to be honest with you this day. It's never too late to repent. So we're going to take a few moments of reflection. And uh, I just want you to stay seated here. Those of online, I really want to encourage you to just use this time, you know, whatever distractions you need to set set aside But there's a song that we periodically sing here, and so we're going to sing that together. And sing if you want to, or just sit there and reflect on the words. But it's an invitation. Um, Come to the table. It says we all start on the outside, the outside looking in. But it's the invitation from Jesus. He invites those religious leaders who had hardened their hearts. He invites every single one of us. And I pray that through this parable that you and I would be willing to be honest and realize it's never too late to let go of our own agenda and repent and turn back to God. So let me pray for us and let's reflect and let God work on our lives as as we worship together. Lord, thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. And we ask, Lord, I ask that you would help my heart to be fully surrendered to you. Move through your spirit over these next couple of moments. In your most precious name we pray, amen.